This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to this 227th episode of Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm a psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I began self-work four and a half, almost five years ago, in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very educated about psychological issues, but be interested in hearing from some other psychologists, to those of you who've just been diagnosed with depression or anxiety and you're looking for answers, or to those of you who might never darken the door of a therapist, but are just curious enough or despairing enough to also be looking for answers yourself. Welcome to all of you. Today we're talking about stuffing your feelings, which is a phrase often used by people when they don't choose to express or work through things. They stuff things that they want to avoid, or they fear that saying it might be hurtful to someone so they don't express it, or fear about feeling it at all. The more psychological term for this is compartmentalization, which is a defensive strategy, meaning a skill of your mind or your ego to protect you when you put aside feelings that might bring you distress or too much pain. For those of you who've read my work on perfectly hidden depression, you know that this habit is a huge component of PhD, except that PhD sufferers have literally become unconscious of the process of stuffing. How do you learn that feelings are somehow too dangerous or too painful or too unwanted to feel? Can compartmentalization go too far? Is it ever good to compartmentalize? And the answer to both of those, by the way, is yes. So when and how is it good? We'll also touch on the topic of cognitive dissonance and how compartmentalization can be used to create it, which is not such a healthy idea. So we'll also talk about when compartmentalization isn't a great idea. Our listener email is from a man whose ex is talking to their son in an inappropriate way, causing what he has read in my articles as an enmeshment between the two of them. And he's wondering what he can do. What would you do? So listen in. Thanks so much for being here as we talk about stuffing or compartmentalization. Let's first cover the actual proper definition of compartmentalization. And I'm reading here, compartmentalization is a subconscious psychological defense mechanism used to avoid cognitive dissonance or the mental discomfort and anxiety caused by a person having conflicting values, thoughts, emotions, beliefs, etc. Cognitive dissonance simply means having mental discomfort from having two conflicting beliefs or values or attitudes. It sounds fancy, but it's when you could literally argue with yourself, and maybe you do, because one part of you believes one thing, but another part of you disagrees and holds another belief. The word subconscious is important. Now, subconscious is different from unconscious, because when you're unconscious, you really have no idea what you're doing. When something lies in your subconscious, you know what you're doing, but for the moment, you're unaware of it. Like, maybe you know it's your mom's birthday, you remember your mom's birthday, but you forget it, or your own birthday. That means the meaning of the date has remained in your conscious mind, and you know it, but you're not knowing it at that very moment. 
Actually, I think what can start out as a subconscious process can turn into an unconscious pattern with enough practice. And if it begins very early on, it can travel so far underground that you're not aware of it. But when you stuff emotions or need to avoid a certain feeling or memory, it's because you have a belief that it would hurt you, that it's better not to deal with it. It's a box, so to speak, that you put your feelings in or perhaps the memory of some experience, either recent or past, and you pull it out of present consciousness. We can do this with so many feelings that we don't want to feel. I know I'm working with a stuffer when someone says to me, oh, I'm not angry, but you know it does bother me or it upsets me. Now, what in the heck do those words mean? Mosquitoes bother me. They're a nuisance, and when they bite, it itches for days. That truly bothers me. And upset? My stomach gets upset, meaning it feels yucky or or sour. So, It'll be a clue to me that someone's compartmentalizing when they say, oh, yeah, that bothers me or it upsets me. And I'll think, what are they stuffing? So let's first talk about the pros of compartmentalization. We often need it in a crisis or when we're faced with some huge struggle or task. Athletes learn how to compartmentalize pain. Race car drivers, firefighters compartmentalize fear. Paramedics and doctors compartmentalize the blood and guts or the horrifying pain of a burn victim or when a mother dies in childbirth. So many feelings in the medical field have to be compartmentalized to stay focused on what needs to be done. And certainly COVID has maxed that out in many of our most dedicated medical professionals. In fact, the pandemic has brought about a tremendous need for each one of us to separate out what we can feel safely Or if we cannot tolerate or have the emotional energy to handle it at that moment, we've had to compartmentalize it. We've had to stuff it away. Something we all have done in the last year. Now, it isn't always bad things that are compartmentalized. If you found out you won the lottery or your work had been selected to be shown in a well-known gallery of some kind or you're going to be honored by your city for your nonprofit work in the community, but you'd committed to serving hot dogs at your daughter's soccer game, then you'd go serve hot dogs and not talk about the great thing that's going to happen. Maybe you'd mention it, but you certainly wouldn't talk about it incessantly. You'd wait until you could celebrate with people who love you and celebrate appropriately. But we compartmentalize all the time. You don't have to be a firefighter or a paramedic. Finding out, for example, that your best friend has cancer, or you're just really sad because your son didn't get into the school he wanted, those feelings might need to be boxed up but then gotten out when you can create the emotional space for you to get support or work through your own feelings. Again, that's healthy. Here's a good example from a website I found called insights.com. Compartmentalization, unbeknownst to me at the time, was in large how I was able to function as a mother, wife, and student after the unexpected death of my sister. When I reflect on that time period, I was not purposefully using any tools to manage the grief. I only knew there were responsibilities that needed to be handled, and I completed many of them without realizing the risks that could have been looming. Another really common example I hear a lot is when two parents are parenting and one sees or hears or watches the other do something that they disagree with. It's not dangerous, mind you, but you simply don't agree with the other parent. For someone who can't compartmentalize, here will come the immediate criticism I thought we talked about not doing this, or I can't believe you just did that. And a fight breaks out between them. Not great, right? 
it would be much better to note and then at a later time ask that parent for some private time and talk about it calmly. That's better for the entire family and certainly for the relationship. So compartmentalization is a healthy skill much of the time. It helps you divide your energies. It helps you manage things and talk about things when you actually have the emotional space to do so. And you can tell when people don't have that skill. Their emotions govern their lives and their choices. Something unpleasant or unwelcome ruins their day or causes them to have to leave their job or to yell at their kids or at you. So teaching how to monitor and evaluate a situation, using mindfulness to allow you to be aware of something being emotionally difficult, but being able to table it, so to speak, put it on the back burner is another way of putting it, and waiting until it's the right time and place to feel those emotions, that can be a vital skill. But before we talk about the cons of compartmentalization, let's hear again from our newest sponsor, Athletic Greens. Again, I'm still using it every day. I can't tell you the good it's doing me. And we have a special offer for you. When Athletic Greens reached out to me, I of course said I'd need to try the product. And I was actually shocked. It tastes great with cold water. And I felt more focused. I've had better digestion and energy. Even my non-health conscious husband is loving it. Let me give you some facts. They call it a life-changing nutritional habit. To me, it's like giving yourself a gift every morning. It contains 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, including probiotics and something called adaptogens. It fits all kinds of diets and has less than one gram of sugar. And it's easy. One scoop in the morning, and you can do away with so many of those other expensive supplements that you swallow every night. And because I said a fervent yes to their sponsorship, you can visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork, and along with the product, you'll receive a free year supply of vitamin D3, and most of us are deficient, and K2 in one tiny drop, as well as five convenient travel packs. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash selfwork and experience it yourself. You know, I always focus on what you can do about it. And Athletic Greens fits the bill. So when is compartmentalization dangerous or destructive? It's when you use it to escape your values or beliefs, and it can easily morph into escapism. This is especially true for addictions. Again, this is tied in with cognitive dissonance. If you have a sexual addiction, gambling addiction, substance abuse, porn, video gaming, you name it, instead of compartmentalizing pain, you're actually compartmentalizing your own values. You're detaching from your own values or what you know or have always felt is right. You decide it's okay to have an affair, watch porn, whatever. So you do something that doesn't reflect your own value system. You can even feel entitled to do it or blame it on something other than you but you distance yourself from your own values. I can't tell you how many times that someone has sat on my couch and said these words very humbly. I've done something I never thought I'd do, and I even judged others for doing just this thing. There's a therapist from Dallas, Richard Castro, who writes a lot about compartmentalization, and I'm going to quote him for a second, especially when it has to do with escapism. The person who acts out has become expert in momentarily shielding himself from all that matters, to have one foot in the world of love and responsibilities, and the other in the world of secretive escapism. A barrier must be erected, 
a barrier that walls you off from what grounds you, a barrier that allows you to momentarily forget the things you deeply care about. Again, that's cognitive distance. And I quote again, In order to escape into fantasy and or acting out, we must cut the cords to our ordinary life. And in many ways, you have to cut yourself off from your very values and commitments. I've seen this so many times. It has to, of course, be distinguished from mania or psychosis when you might be engaging in destructive behaviors because your mood is far too elevated or you're even hearing voices telling you to do something. And it has to be distinguished from severe depression as well when you are compartmentalizing pain and finding solace in hurting yourself, like burning yourself or cutting. That's actually more a sign of dissociation, not compartmentalization, which is a different topic but one that is similar to escapist compartmentalization. So let's talk about four cases. These are actual cases I had in my practice where escapism or using compartmentalization was very, very real and very painful for these people. First, there was a doctor who watched porn in his office in his own clinic and where it had already been found on his computer more than once and he'd lost two jobs because of it. He came in to see me to say, why am I doing this? Then there was the mom who justified picking her children up from school after she downed a couple of stiff drinks to calm her nerves. She came in because she'd gotten a DUI. Then there was the teacher who was saving money for going back to school to get her master's, but came in telling me that she was spending money like it was growing on trees. Again, we had to rule out mania there because spending excessively is a part of that. So she doesn't understand why she's doing that. It's cognitively dissonant. And then there was the husband who loved his kids and wife so much, but shut himself up for hours every night, completely engrossed in another video identity, fighting fantastical battles for hours on end. The justification of escapism, which made all four of these very real people forget their values. They felt somehow entitled to escape, justified to escape. The doctor who loved practicing medicine, the mom who loved her children, the teacher who was motivated to meet her potential, and the husband who actually loved his family life, all of them weren't able to keep that primary in their thoughts and actions, and they were doing something that would actually destroy those things. So what's the answer if you do this? First, as I said before, you have to realize that you are avoiding or stuffing something away, that a more normal response would be to feel sad or angry, disappointed or frightened. You have to be aware that what you're doing to escape is not normal. You're either doing it for too long, too much, too intensely, too something. Second, ask yourself, does this compartmentalization really serve me well? Is it truly important for you to function, or is it something that's become habitual, addictive, something whose major purpose is to detach from something else you don't want to think about or feel? This step takes some brutal honesty, For example, it may serve you well to get drunk every week, but your family suffers from it. So you have to be brutally honest. Third, if you realize it doesn't serve you well or serve well the people that love you, then what do you need to deal with or learn to cope with? What skills do you not possess that you need to learn? For that parent, for example, who spoke too quickly, they need to learn to be more respectful to even realize their way of doing something isn't always the right way. These are the reasons that have to be figured out. 
why and how you can begin to understand what's underneath your need to escape, avoid, or detach. Maybe it's that you followed all the rules forever and you're angry. You need to learn what you can safely do with anger. Porn has become your way to feel in control instead of realizing that anger has been at the root of your issue all along. Maybe for the woman who would take a couple of drinks. Maybe it's linked to an old partner who scorned you and left you for someone else. And it's tied in with insecurity, feeling like you're less than everyone else. It's a way you somehow build yourself up. You don't have friends who support you because you've been isolating. And there are problems in your own marriage, not only because of the drinking, but your own insecurity. There's lots to fix there. And again, I'm just sort of theoretically saying this, but some of this was true in these cases. What about the teacher? Maybe they're not in the job that they dreamed of, and yet they've never grieved. So you really want to get that master's, but you're telling yourself, I should be further along by now. You're shaming yourself. You thought you'd go into something else, feel more important. So you're sabotaging yourself getting that higher degree by spending. And you have to deal with those feelings. You have to grieve. And for the last guy who is a video watcher or a video addict, maybe your marriage is in huge trouble, but you can't allow yourself to see it. You want to believe that your family is fine. So you avoid all of it by playing a video game for hours. Or maybe you've never felt like a hero to anyone. And somehow being the hero on a game feels oddly healing, but the need grows stronger with every game because it's not real. The reasons could be many. Addictions have their roots in many things and are defined as mental illnesses themselves. But escaping is rarely an answer. Compartmentalizing feelings causes cognitive distance, and that can lead to a life that feels highly chaotic and probably is. Here's our listener email today. He had read a blog post of mine on enmeshment, which actually is probably one of the blog posts that is most read on my site. A parent-child enmeshment is when a parent and child are too close, and the child actually serves a purpose for the parent as a confidant, serves an adult role with the parent, which is very unhealthy for the child and actually for the parent. So he goes on to say, I've seen this close hand with my own separation, but didn't have a way to describe it until I read your post. I can see that my ex is sharing far too many details with our child and doesn't seem to be discussing it with other adults. She's even said to me that she doesn't need to talk to anyone else as she has our son. He was eight at the time. I believe she's not talking to any other adult or professional as most of our mutual friends were not informed by her of the breakdown in our relationship. She's also admitted to not talking to her family about it as well. We don't have a working relationship at all now, so I'm wondering how you might counteract enmeshment even when you're not the one promoting or suffering from it. I don't want my child to suffer from this, but I don't know how to combat it given the circumstance. So I wrote back. I know it's a him because he signed his name and it's a male name. I wasn't assuming that it was a guy. What strikes me here are three things. I'm puzzled whether or not this ex was a wife or a girlfriend. You don't mention divorce. So that leads me to wonder how much of a relationship you actually have with your son. You can empower this child to ask the other parent not to talk with them about certain things, that it makes them too sad, or that they don't want to hear bad things about you 
or the other parent. And that can work or work to a certain extent, again, empowering your child. But you mentioned mutual friends. You can contact them and ask for their help, not in an intrusive, sharing too much about your ex kind of way, but just tell them that you're concerned she's lonely or lost. You don't have to share with them about what's happening with their child. But you almost seem to be taking a little bit of a back seat there. And if they're your friends too, I don't quite understand that. Again, I don't think it's right to share too much personal information, but to let them know that you're concerned about your ex. And the third thing is to wonder with you about why there's exactly no working relationship. That could be part of the problem. You could ask her to go to therapy with you, actually do sort of divorce therapy. So whatever feeling she has about the relationship ending, then she can work them out with you, not with your son. I've done divorce therapy before, and it can be very helpful. And when you're with your son, make sure you're not condemning her either. Just give him support. Make sure you offer to take him so that she can have a break. Whatever you can do to have a better working relationship with her. I really think this is probably the most important thing I offered to him. To try to reach out to her. To have and establish a working relationship with her. So there's more communication between the two of them. There's more emotional closure or whatever she needs. Again, he only has control over so much. But he does have control over that. Or at least he can offer, not just once, but more than once, and say to her, I really think you and I have some things to work out. So take a more proactive stance, not only for his son, but for everyone. I want to thank you all for being here. You know, one of the things that I've realized in the last couple of weeks, because my audio engineer was actually out on vacation, and so I wasn't recording, (laughs) and I felt almost a little lost, like, well, what do I do? (laughs) So you're so important to me. The feedback I get from you, I've had several of you reach out in the last month to tell me certain things about episodes that you like, or actually I have an interview in the stack because someone listened to the episode about careers that kill and wanted to feature her own profession, which I thought was a marvelous idea, and that's coming soon. So I welcome you reaching out to me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I also want to thank those of you who have read Perfectly Hidden Depression or are leaving reviews at Amazon. I'm almost up to 200, and you do not know how much that means. I promise you, people look at those ratings and reviews and say, hmm, is this book worth my $14 or whatever? So I appreciate that because the message is so very important. And that's something I hear about all the time. And of course, those of you who are subscribing or liking or leaving reviews wherever you listen to self-work, that also means so much. I don't care how many there are already. I think it's fantastic that I have over 900 reviews or ratings, mostly ratings, on Apple Podcasts. But, gosh, there are people who have thousands. So, (laughs) please leave them there as well. You can do that anonymously. In fact, you can leave a rating and review on Amazon anonymously. It just means a lot. If you subscribe to DrMargaretRutherford.com, you'll receive a weekly newsletter, and that's it that focuses on what I've offered for the week, including my weekly podcast episode. 
I also tell you if I'm giving any seminars or anything like that that you might be interested in. You can also leave me a message there or here in the show notes. That is a speak pipe message, so I actually get to hear your voice and the modulation of your voice as you ask me the question, which of course gives me a lot of information about you. You can join my Facebook group. It's closed. It's very private. It's also very supportive and warm and loving, and there's lots of laughter. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Please join me over at Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I love being on Instagram. I'm actually getting to know so many people there as I share some of their material and they share mine. It's really a great platform. I enjoy it so much. So I hope you're getting out into the spring weather if you're in the United States. It's been gorgeous here in Arkansas. I will tell you that when this episode airs, I will be one week from seeing my son that I have not seen in 14 months. So if you hear a particular lilt to my voice, (laughs) there's a very good reason for that. Again, thank you for being here. Please take very, very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.